What is up, guys? We are back again with another episode, and thankfully, Gary is not with us. You know, we have, you know, he's off on a holiday. He's uh, supposedly, he says, Oh, I've, I've never taken a holiday in my like working years. I've seen him on holiday. That's just, that's baloney, right? He's, he's been on holiday. He's checked out mentally. He's not working, but he's, he's, he says at least this two week holiday that he's on is, he's checked out. He's not doing any work at all, apart from like, you know, the bare, bare minimum that we, you know, occasionally have to do when you run a business, you know? But anyway, look, we're not here to hear, hear about Gary's life. We're here to talk uh, about, well, we're here to continue the female health series. And in this episode, we're going to start see how far we get with it and we're going to start the topic of menopause because there's a lot to cover in it right and as i've said before look i am an idiot so we're not going to listen to me (laughs) on the topic we're going to listen to someone that actually knows what they're talking about or at least i hope you know what you're talking about nicola (laughs) we'll find out out. (laughs) so so menopause what's the story here because we've been talking about again a lot of different female health topics we've been talking about the menstrual cycle in general we talked a bit about you know menstrual cycle dysfunctions and you know different things that can occur um but we mentioned that this stuff does come to an end right the menstrual cycle comes to an end and that's not necessarily intuitive right that's not something that you would be like oh yeah that's just something that happens you know like if you were just to think oh here's a I don't know, you're literally in the wild or something. You're like a, a zoologist. You're an alien that comes down and you're fucking just looking at animals and going, oh yeah, this is this is something that occurs. You wouldn't intuitively think, oh, it makes sense evolutionarily to have a cessation or an end to the ability to reproduce. You know, if you're just thinking about it logically, you go, surely you would want to be able to just continue reproducing for the entire life of the organism right so it's not intuitive but it is something that we have to deal with <laughs> it is something that most women as well as long as you live long enough most women are going to deal with so what is menopause what's the story here so basically to put it put it you know bluntly is menopause is a cessation of a woman's natural menstrual cycle and it occurs kind of in women's kind of 40s 50s the average age is, is around 51 particularly in the western world and um, there's a couple of main phases of menopause, which I think are, are important to go through. It's important. It's a it's a word that's kind of thrown out kind of a lot in the media. And you hear a lot about the perimenopause. But oftentimes we don't actually know a lot of definitions are thrown around. But we don't actually know kind of what um, they mean. It's one of probably the most um, under talked about topics of women's health. Um, and even though there's a lot being put forward about uh, women's health in kind of the last couple of years, it's still it's still something that's only menopause and perimenopause, something that's really only kind of catching ground now. Um, so we know, um, you know, a lot of the, the recommendations for um, women's health are, um, you know, on the presumption of someone kind of with a menstrual cycle. So we need to kind of turn the focus now more to um perimenopausal women and postmenopausal women um, because there are some kind of distinct recommendations that we can make for them not only in terms of kind of symptom control but also quality of life um, and just kind of better health for that kind of um, older age as well yeah it's really important as well because for especially like when I grew up in the 90s you know back in back in the day you know we didn't have great information for women training nutrition in in general Right. And I feel like that's just kind of turning a corner. 
but it's kind of just treating it as if like oh yeah like women are a, a block it's just <laughs> one continuous there's no different life stages there's no like different things that occur across the lifespan but there clearly is right so we need to again refine the message refine the population that we're talking to like who are we talking to we're we talking to someone that is perimenopause we're we talking to someone that's menopause we're we talking to someone that's you know 25 years old like we have to be very specific with that stuff and you know mass media generally doesn't favor specific messages it's all the let's let's hit the biggest broadest target audience that we possibly can here which is just a generalized uh, messaging you know so like you said there are some things that we have to pick can't even speak we there are some things that we have to pay attention to and to take account of when we're talking about menopause so what, what are we talking about with that so i think i think a good place to start like i said is kind of going in into some definitions um so the first one perimenopause um again you know an, an, an old client of mine i remember um you know a lady in her early 40s um you know really like successful intelligent woman she turned to me one day she's like what the hell is a perimenopause she's like i'm hearing all these things it's all in the media apparently i'm perimenopausal she's like what's going on she's like is this all a gimmick um but and, and it just kind of goes to show that you know as was someone in, in their early 40s is only kind of hearing these terms now you know kind of it isn't a good sign it's more of a reflection on our education rather than than anything else um so i suppose that that this is a good point to start so perimenopause is essentially kind of the, the lead up where it's kind of the transition um into many menopause itself um so perimenopause what you'll see is is these are kind of a fluctuation in hormones so usually kind of for the the normal menstrual cycle you see an even rise um, in hormones kind of throughout the month but in this kind of perimenopausal phase, our hormones become a little bit more dramatic. You see kind of greater dips and you see kind of higher peaks throughout the month um, and you will have more kind of anovulatory cycles. So that's where kind of the, the follicles in the ovaries might not develop. Um, and so you'll have kind of more of those the ovaries themselves kind of begin to decrease in size um, and you'll have a lot of kind of associated kind of um, vasomotor symptoms, which are kind of the, the hallmark of perimenopause. So that's why where you hear about your kind of your night sweats or your hot flushes. Um, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, that can, you know, kind of happen, you know, in a woman's 40s and then leads right up to menopause. So menopause um, is actually just kind of one point in time, okay, instead of this kind of long, broad thing that we associate it with. It's kind of the anchor point and it's defined at 12 months um, after the kind of final um, menstrual period. So it's kind of one point in time. Um, average age, like I said, is about 51 years in, in the Western world. Um, and the best way to know, um, you know, when you think that you will be going through it is actually asking your mom because there's a strong genetic component component as well um, and also associated symptoms as well it, it's good to ask your mom how, how she went through her um, menopause um, and then after that point in time then it's post-menopause um, you know for simplicity's sake we'll probably just be referring to kind of menopause here kind of throughout the, the podcast but it, after that point you're kind of post-menopausal um, and why it's so important as well to to kind of be putting this into media and putting this forward is we are living longer um, and that means we are in this post menopausal 
estate for what used to be kind of, you know, almost like a third of our lives. It's nearly becoming probably about half of our lives now at this stage. Um, so it's, it's it's really important, again, to kind of know what are the, the associated, um, you know, kind of um, um, health issues that kind of crop up in that postmenopausal um, phase um, and what we can do now to kind of kind of lessen those risks. 100%. I always think of the like perimenopause again I'm an idiot so look take this with a grain of salt but like I always view it you know like an analogy or a metaphor um I'm like right ideally you know if we have a, a physiological process we want some sort of like dimmer switch we don't want like oh it's just going to turn off you know a lot of people think of menopause as if it is just a switch you know you just flick the switch right now with in, in my estimation at least the perimenopause to menopause it's not like that dimmer switch it's more like if you had a a light that you know you flick the switch and it's it's kind of it's just on the edge of being broken it sometimes it goes really bright and sometimes it just completely stops and it, it's flickering on and off that's how i kind of think of it it's this perimenopausal stage it's like the flickering it's up and down it's it's back and forth and you're kind of like i don't like if i flick this switch here i don't know if this light is going to be functioning i don't know if it's going to be on it could be off today it could be flickering today you don't know so it's a very tumultuous time i suppose you'd say like it's it's up and down which obviously and we've talked about it before when we talked about the menstrual cycle in general it's usually we want to look at the like the magnitude or the amount of hormones but we also want to look at them relative to the other hormones in the, the, the cycle as well so we've got a stage where we could have higher or lower amounts of certain hormones but then we also have a, a position where we could have a, a change in the relative proportion of hormones you know um which makes for some interesting <laughs> symptoms shall we say um but that's also just one aspect of it in terms of okay we've got this perimenopause and you know we'll call it the postmenopause uh period but that's not the only reason we could have menopause you know there are other reasons like you know maybe we'll talk about them here now because you will see this as well even though obviously it's not as frequent as just the, the normal progression that most people go through, but you could have menopause in your, your 20s, for example, um, surgery, whatever, you know? So are there any other like causes of menopause? Because that's just the, the natural, the normal, you know? But what's what else could happen? Yeah, absolutely. So um, like you said, there can be, that's what we were describing there was, uh, you know, like a naturally um, occurring menopause, that kind of flatlining of, of, of hormones in that postmenopausal phase stage of life. Um, but then you can also have, you know, an induced menopause. So that might be, like you said, from surgery. Um, so when particularly, so a lot of women might kind of have hysterectomies um, that, that may or may not um, include kind of the removal of the ovaries as well. Um, so removal of the ovaries will kind of um, send you into that kind of an, an induced menopause I and mean, as well women who have hysterectomies as well but the, the ovaries um, are, are, are still intact and they will, will hit menopause on average a couple of years earlier as well um, then someone else um, might be on chemotherapy or might have had a kind of pelvic radiation um, that might put them in, into an induced menopause um, so with with those there's no kind of um, perimenopausal transition like it's you know kind of a surgical thing or you know like so with the chemo um it's more of an iatrogenic you know um, um effect um so we don't see that kind of bad uh, that 
those kind of um, vasomotor symptoms kind of with that, that we would kind of with the, the perimenopausal kind of transition. Um, it kind of happens more kind of um, suddenly. I suppose. That's, that's the flick. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah, more and more of a flick, like you were saying. Um, so it's associated with more, obviously, and, you know, an early loss of fertility. Um, and then there's a greater risk of kind of cardiovascular disease and, and osteoporosis. So um, with these women, they will off because that might happen kind of at a younger age, they might be offered um, kind of um, hormonal um, therapy kind of, you know, earlier on. Well, they should at least, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, and then other women then might um, have an earlier kind of menopause kind of because of primary ovarian insufficiency. So this typically occurs in women kind of under the age of 40. Um, and it might be something that's transient, it might be something that's permanent. Um, and it can be associated with kind of many health conditions, whether that's kind of autoimmune kind of thyroid issues or, or genetic abnormality as well. Mm. And we also have to like factor in on this, like we talked about before about uh, red S, you know, or like the female athlete triad or whatever yeah. you want to call it, you know, like you can have amenorrhea. Okay. And like we're saying here, oh, menopause is like, you know, it's basically you haven't had a, a menstrual cycle for a year. And we're kind of using that as our, our like a cutoff, but you could have been amenorrheic for a year you know and are we like oh are you in menopause then like you could be in your 20s and this is where again the definitions are a little bit like it's hard to be very precise with this stuff but people often forget and this is the reason i brought it up is like you could be say an athlete or you could be someone that's really like going in with your training you really like training you're really pushing hard maybe you're you started dieting you want to lose a few pounds for the summer or whatever like you could be in your late 30s your, your 40s and become amenorrheic from the exercise and then you can be start thinking like oh maybe it's menopause maybe that's the thing you know that's just yeah, that's what, what that's what happens you know and it's a really weird situation that you have then because well, at least it, i think it would be uh, where you're like all oh, right actually i think i went through the menopause and then all of a sudden you start having your menstrual cycle again because you started eating more sleeping more doing less training or whatever and um, so it's not like this is just like all right we have the exact like I'm sure there, they, there are ways to do it. Like, I don't know, you measure ovarian reserve or whatever. Um, but it's not like we have an exact, this is exactly what happens with menopause that distinguishes it from any other reason that you would have, you know, uh, you know no menstrual cycle anymore, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I suppose that, that's where it's important with that kind of definition with the primary ovarian insufficiency comes in where it's kind of under the age of, of 40. Um, menopause itself is kind of more of a like a clinical diagnosis, I suppose, you know, based on symptoms, um, based on, like we said, kind of cessation of, of, of the kind of last menstrual period, um, you know, kind of blood tests and, and that kind of thing aren't really necessary. But in that younger age, they are, um, because like we said, you know, it can either kind of be transient or permanent. So we need to rule out whether there is, you know, it's amenorrhea, like hypothalamic amenorrhea, whether it's like a thyroid issue um, or whether there's something else that's that that's actually stopping this rather than you know kind of the ovaries themselves and and it's then that that maybe kind of blood tests might be might be more indicated yeah and like there are so many causes like literally like cancer yeah. or different things like so many things that could happen that could disrupt your regular menstrual cycle and if you just go oh yeah it's that must be just menopause like it it's somewhat helpful to be like okay obviously look again you want to go like occam's razor like what's the most likely thing here if you're 45 and you're like okay 
you know, I'm having maybe some symptoms of perimenopause and I'm, you know, like amenorrheic will say, you know, don't have a period. You could be like, okay, you know, maybe it's, maybe it is menopause, you know, but if you're whatever, 25 and you're like, yeah, I haven't had a period in like two years. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be going, oh yeah, it's definitely menopause. <laughs> you know? exactly, exactly, exactly. So yeah, on, under the age of 40 in particular, and even after that, we really need to rule out a whole host of other things before, before we think about that. Um, but it, it's also important to note, you know, e- even if you're kind of not nearly at that stage now, but you are someone who's kind of, you know, lost their period for a year, kind of the the, the health concerns that, that we'll be going through, they're, they're irrelevant for someone who's you know been amenorrheic for for a year mm. but you know if if you know if it's hypothalamic amenorrhea and you know coming back to red s etc yeah those so, concerns hold true kind of no matter the the, the age yeah, exactly so look there's a lot of causes <laughs> <laughs> but let's just say okay we've got this where well, there is a clear distinction between a, a natural menopause you know in your 40s 50s whatever or it could be 30s again, whatever, you know, different places around the world, whatever. Um, we've got this natural one. We've got this, like, we'll call it again, an induced menopause, you know, and then we've got this, like, primary ovarian insufficiency. And then we also have these, we'll call them tagalongs, where it's like, you know, it's not actually menopause. And it, you could actually get it in your 40s and make you think that you've gone through menopause, but it's not, you know, there are also, and I'm talking about like you know, red S and that kind of stuff there. Um, and then there's also potential like disease states that could cause, well, they could also cause menopause. Like you could have something that occurs that then induces menopause, but there could also be something, an illness, disease, whatever that causes you to be an amenorrheic. So there's a lot of stuff going on here, but let's just go through this, the rest of the episode, as if we have a nice, like clear definition of this is menopause. This is, you know, when people think of menopause, you know, that's what we're talking about here, you know? So we have some of the causes there, right? What, what else? Like, how do you know? Like, what are, like, let's call them symptoms. You know, what's, what's occurring here? What, what's someone going to feel, you know? Because that, that's, that's obviously what people actually care about. You know, they don't care. It's like, okay, cool. I've gone through menopause. Like, who cares? You know, I thought maybe if they want to have kids, they're like, okay, I still care. <laughs> but, you know, they're like, all right, who, who cares? But they clearly do care because they're experiencing some symptoms here. They're experiencing some issues. So let's talk about the symptoms and then let's talk about the, you know, health issues, I suppose, that we also have to consider, you know? So what are the symptoms here? Yeah, absolutely. So like I was saying, kind of one of the one of the big things, one of the hallmarks of perimenopause in particular is those um, kind of vasomotor symptoms, um, which, you know, what we kind of refer to like hot flashes and kind of um, night sweats. So it's kind of, you know, hot flushes, hot flashes, whatever you want to call them, um, are those kind of periods where the kind of transient kind of, um, you know, flushing, perspiring, um, almost like a burning sensation over the body, over the face. And then um, the body temperature generally, you know, turns back to normal and then you can, a chill will often follow that as well. And maybe kind of a bout of kind of anxiety too. Um, a lot of women can get night sweats as well, which kind of has a knock on then of, um, you know, uh, disturbed sleep. 
Um, a lot of women might have, um, I suppose what I should say, first of all, as well, a lot of the symptoms are sound awful. <laughs> they sound, and if you were, if you were to Google them, you're like, Jesus, does every woman go through this? And like, you know, realistically kind of a lot of women, about 25%, you know, will have very mild symptoms, you know, 50% will have some symptoms and another 25% will have kind of really debilitating symptoms. Um, but hot flushes are kind of the main one. And then kind of 85% of women kind of will kind of experience that, um, particularly in that kind of perimenopausal period and it should kind of decrease in severity and hopefully you know stop um or definitely lessen in that postmenopausal period um, but you can definitely think of that as the big one that is the night sweats like we said that has a knock-on effect of sleep disturbance um, mood disturbance can be another thing again it's, that can be multifactorial it's a huge life change um, you're also having these symptoms, um, like you're saying, the hot flushes. If your sleep is disturbed, I mean, that has a knock on of, 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 um, of you know, mood disturbance as well. Um, and then you kind of have the, the genitourinary symptoms as well. So there can be, um, you know, vaginal dryness, there can be painful sex, et cetera. Um, Another one then, you know, obviously the, in the kind of health and fitness industry, kind of we're looking at kind of, you know, an increased kind of BMI, increased fat mass, particularly kind of around the, the midsection, um, which has its own kind of knock on of being associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular disease. Um, you know, we're looking at thinning of kind of the hair, thinning of um, the bones as well. So osteoporosis, again, is a huge issue. Um, so one in two um, women in Ireland will suffer um, a fracture that's related to osteoporosis. So again, another kind of, you know, big thing to, to, to consider um, for during this time. Mm. And a lot of the stuff, this is why we're doing this episode, a lot of the stuff you can, we'll call it combat, uh, you know, relatively easily. For example, again, the osteoporosis, like we can do resistance training, you know, we can help with that. Yeah. Is it going to be perfect? No, some people are still going to be at, at risk. You know, we just have effectively, we'll say no estrogen, you know, no beneficial effects of, of estrogen here. So some people are just going to be at risk. However, you can delay or you know, mitigate that risk as much as possible, you know? So some of the symptoms, some of the things that occur, the health issues around that, we can look at and we'll, we'll talk about them a little bit more in, in a second. But like you said, this just sounds like a fucking shit time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, yeah absolutely like it, it, it sounds terrible and that's why you know a, a lot of women particularly if you googled it you're like Jesus Christ you know and, and, and it can be a huge cause um, of anxiety for, for a lot of women and even women in their 30s if they get you know really warm on some day you'll be like Jesus am I going through the menopause is this what a hot flash is but the thing is is that you know like I said you know a lot of women will have mild symptoms and like I said there's about 25% who have debilitating symptoms now that's one in four that's still pretty significant um but we do have um a lot of therapies that now to combat those symptoms um and particularly kind of uh, menopausal hormonal therapy is something that's kind of being brought kind of to the forefront now um and we we know that it you know we know it works um and we know that it is um you know that a lot of the um benefits of it kind of weigh out the risks whereas previously there was a lot of taboo around the subject um, but we do know that it works and that it helps a lot of women. I know we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail later, but it's just a good, good thing to point now that we do have a lot of interventions um, that are really helpful and kind of our kind of main gig, I suppose, is nutrition and training. So and that that really kind of go, goes hand in hand with the, I suppose, the medical kind of therapy. Yeah, and it's a weird one because a lot of people are hesitant to even look at the medical roots. They're like, oh, like this is this is a quote unquote natural thing. I should just you know, let it happen. But 
and we'll talk about it in a second, there are health issues that are associated with this because you're basically moving. It, it's actually really weird in terms of if you look at the hormones, like um, menopause, like if you look at all the symptoms of menopause, right? And then you look at all the symptoms of someone using a drug like Trenbolone, right? You see like bodybuilders, they use like Trenbolone, right? And I'm fairly certain Trenbolone is a synthetic progestin, uh, I think anyway. Um, but people will say stuff like, oh, I have like, I take Tren, I take this steroid, you know, people do it in the bodybuilding world. They're like, oh, to get bigger, to get stronger or whatever. And they will describe all of the symptoms <laughs> of menopause, you know? So it's like people are putting themselves through this, you know, intentionally. So it's a weird one in terms of we have huge populations, even in men that have the same symptoms because they're using this, this, this drug. Right. Um, so that's a little bit of a, you know, a weird side tangent, but people are very hesitant to actually treat this stuff with drugs. You know, like if you have heart disease, you go to your doctor, you go, oh, I have heart disease. You know, people are a little bit hesitant sometimes to take statins, for example, you know, um, but if you go to your doctor and you're like, oh, I have hot flashes, I think I'm perimenopause and, you know, I, whatever, you know, I'm like, oh, my hair is really thinning, you know, oh, whatever the symptoms are for you as an individual. Because obviously, you know, not everyone gets all the symptom list, right? And if your doctor said to you, oh, yeah, okay, well, we can put you on hormones, you know, now it is a usually a lifelong therapy. So it is something that you should consider, you know, strongly. Um, but people are hesitant to that. You know, people are like, oh, like hormones i don't know and there's plenty of good reason for that and we'll talk about that either in this episode or in a future episode um around it, like hormone replacement therapy for women um but it is a strange one that people are just very hesitant to do that especially as we know it's not like you can still make these hormones yourself it's not yeah. like like it's not like this is a process that you can just keep going with it's like no we know you've basically reached the end of the line with your ability to produce these hormones so you either have to accept that you can't get these hormones anymore or not in sufficient quantities for whatever, or you just have to accept, you have to accept that or you have to effectively you know, supplement yeah. with that. Yeah, absolutely. You'll hear a lot of women, you know, they'll say, you know, I'm not a pill popper, you know, and, and that that can be, you know, probably maybe the only reason why, why they won't go on the therapy, um, even though a lot of it is, is a patch. But, you know, they'll be like, I'm not a pill popper. I don't want to do that. They think it's something that they need to toughen out. Mm. Um, and as well, again, you know, some of the like the early research um, was showing kind of um, huge negative um, effect on women. But again, they were using the the wrong type of kind of, um, you know, like progestins. It was also in women kind of that were, you know, 10 years postmenopausal. Um, so a lot of the research that has been done in kind of the appropriate group kind of with the appropriate um, hormone replacement or hormone therapy, I should say, um, you know, has shown um, great benefit to, to a lot of women. Mm. And I, I don't know uh, what the process is here, but obviously like you're a doctor in the Irish medical system, at least I know we have a lot of international, I say international, worldwide, I should say, uh, yeah. people that listen to this. But what would it be like if you are, interacting with the irish medical system for example you're just like right i'm perimenopause i'm i've you know done my own research i've listened to the triage method podcast <laughs> you know and i'm thinking i'm maybe considering you know some sort of pharmacological intervention here what would be the process if you went to your gp and you're like right, i'm having these symptoms would that be something that they would discuss would it be something that they're just like you know fuck off <laughs> 
what's the process? Uh, oh, no, uh, you know, absolutely. No, your, your GP will be your first protocol. Um, and then after that, you can you can be, you know, referred to a specialist if necessary. Um, but most, you know, GPs, you know, will be will be qualified in discussing that with you. And again, the treatment will will depend on kind of what your your symptoms are. So whether, you know, the, the hot flushes is, is, is your is your main issue, um, whether it's kind of like I said, vaginal dryness is your main issue, whether continence is, is your issue, um, they'll be able to to kind of assess that, assess your history um, and then kind of refer if, if necessary. But your, your GP is definitely the, the first protocol. Fantastic. And we will talk about hormone stuff in, in a future episode. I just wanted to, for my own knowledge, at least, you know. Um, so, look, we've talked about a lot of the symptoms. Obviously, look, we could go do a deep dive with some of these symptoms because, again, they sound fucking awful, like night sweats and just hot flashes and fucking everything else. But anyway, look, um, there are health issues as well. And we touched on some of them a, a few times. But it is important to, again, just reiterate that there are potentially significant health issues if we don't do something at least or don't keep this in mind. And I know obviously this is like a health and fitness podcast where, you know, a lot of our listeners go to the gym, they're into their training, they're into their nutrition, whatever. And a lot of people focus on the, you know, physique changes, for example, they're like, oh, look, you basically move from more of this like female body fat distribution. You move more towards like a male body fat distribution. Like men will generally uh, what's called an android you know body fat distribution men will generally like gain fat on like their stomach their their belly that's where they gain the majority of their fat you know and like that's it's just where they put it on like you see guys and they literally have like shredded arms shredded legs like literally you can see, see veins muscles everything but they have like a gut you know like you see that all the time right whereas in women oftentimes you'll see like okay you could have like a completely lean upper body but the majority of your fat is just stored on your, your like bum, your hips, your legs, you know? Um, and that's actually a more healthful, we've talked about it before. That's a more healthful body fat distribution. And um, whereas the male body fat distribution, having it all in your visceral uh, space there around your organs, around your abdomen, on your abdomen, like that's less health promoting. And again, in this, the current way we look at like aesthetics, you know, um, we're like, oh, I want to have that six pack. You know, everyone wants to have the six pack, you know? So we very much don't, don't like that. You know, we're like, oh, we don't want to have that, even though look, it's, it's just a natural body fat distribution. Um, but it is associated with health issues as well, you know? And this is generally why we see a lot of the health issues that men get earlier in life, for example, like heart disease, like after menopause, we start seeing this real uptick in women. And unfortunately, especially with heart disease, and again, we've talked about this before, like, Heart disease in women is already underdiagnosed. It's already something that is just kind of like people aren't aware of the symptoms, both like medical practitioners and just the average individual on the street. And they aren't aware of the symptoms in women. They're just like, oh, like this is, these are symptoms in men or this is something that men have to think about. It is like heart disease in general is something that everyone has to think about. But especially as you come to this perimenopause, menopause, like transition and then afterwards, it is something that, we have to consider a lot more as, as a woman, right? Um, but what are the health issues? What are we thinking about here? What, like, what's the story? Yeah, so there, there are three kind of, you know, main, um, you know, issues, and that's kind of cardiovascular disease, 
um, osteoporosis and then pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, so estrogen um, is cardioprotective. It's also protective of your bones, not kind of postmenopausal period. You have kind of a flat line of your hormones, particularly estrogen. Um, so we kind of lose that kind of protective function that, that it has, um, you know, on the heart um, and on the bones. Um, so you'll see kind of the, the, cardiovascular disease is the highest cause of mortality in women in in that age um you'll see like you said that kind of dis redistribution in fat um and then osteoporosis as well particularly i'm just after coming off um my orthopedic rotation which is just looking after all the little old ladies with um with hip fractures and kind of the the mortality and the morbidity that's associated with that like i said kind of one in two women in ireland will have um, a fracture related to osteoporosis. Um, and the thing is, is that that, that is, um, statistic, that doesn't have to be inevitable. Again, that's due to, um, you know, I suppose people being kind of, you know, frailer kind of in that kind of younger kind of perimenopausal period, people who have kind of no experience with kind of strength training um, that have kind of low vitamin D levels that have kind of a poor diet. So that, that kind of statistic doesn't have to be kind of as high as it is. And particularly when you see it in, in hospital and you see someone that's come in, particularly with um, what we call like a neck of the femur fracture and the mortality that's associated with that. And even just someone not returning to their kind of baseline function, you know, kind of an, an, an elderly lady that was kind of flying about at home, you know, comes in with a hip fracture and now, you know, needs to get the whole house adjusted because she won't be able to kind of get up the stairs. It's kind of, it's, it's your independence, you know, and it's something that we, we don't kind of value when we're younger, but then it's, it, it is, we are living so much longer that it is something that kind of needs to be put to the forefront. And it's definitely changed. Way even I think a lot of people are way more aware of it now post COVID because like, imagine you are an older person and like you again get a fracture you lose your independence you're basically confined to your house then and a lot of yeah. people experience that over covid like it's fucking mind-numbing you know if you're just like i can only go especially yeah. to a smaller house or like an apartment like i live in an apartment like you know very mind-numbing if you just that's all you're able to do so it's not just the we'll call it like the hard health outcomes in terms of like if you say the osteoporosis or whatever it's yeah. all mental health aspects yeah, well, th this is the thing. I mean, and and th this is, you know, what, what what's happening is, you know, people are coming in, um, they have a hip fracture, they can't return to their, their baseline kind of function. So they need to leave with either a Zimmer frame or a stick, but then they live in a two story house. So then they can't go home because the house would need to be modified. But again, that's a whole kind of issue with the, the health systems. So maybe they have to go to a step down hospital and they pick up either um, a bed sore or they pick up, you know, COVID. I mean, the amount of our patients, you know, waiting rehab that, um, you know, just picked up COVID along the way is insane or another kind of hospital acquired pneumonia. So it's just, it, it, I know I'm painting a pretty like grim picture, but it, it is just a, like, there, there's a lot to kind of take into account with this than just kind of like go to the gym, you know? Um, so yeah so th those so particularly kind of yeah heart bones is a big one um, <laughs> that I'm drilling home particularly because I've just come off my orthopedic rotation um but then pelvic floor dysfunction as well so you know you're looking at kind of particularly like urinary stress incontinence so that's kind of when you um you know kind of laugh cough sneeze um you know that you will experience kind of um, issues with kind of bowel or, or bladder um, incontinence um, and then prolapse then is 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 the other issue so over kind of 50 percent of women will experience um 
uh, symptoms of prolapse is kind of a scary word. But again, that 50%, um, it doesn't mean kind of a severe prolapse. Prolapse is essentially um, when the vaginal wall isn't kind of strong enough to kind of hold in um, all the organs that are in the pelvis. So like I said, kind of bowel, bladder, um, et cetera. So you might kind of feel um, a little bit, you know, kind of fall out, I suppose, um, for want of a better, better word. Um, and that kind of happens as well because of the withdrawal of estrogen. The vagina has a lot of estrogen receptors. So in that kind of postmenopausal period, it, it's not you won't necessarily be having these symptoms um, only if you've had um, a child. Um, so you will just kind of experience with that withdrawal in estrogen as well. Yeah, like we often forget that like hormones do things in our body, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and exactly. it's not just like the like extra stuff. It's not just like, oh, like, you know, testosterone helps with building muscle. It's not like just that. It's like, no, you need these hormones for baseline function. You know, like this is for the yeah. actual ability of your body to do the baseline. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So that's why we need we need to either kind of treat that kind of, um, you know, kind of with our kind of lifestyle or nutritional interventions. Um, and then, like I said, there, there is a role kind of for medical therapy kind of in, in terms of symptoms, whether that's, um, you know, medication, whether that's like topical estrogen, again, it just depends on what kind of symptoms that, that you're experiencing. Yeah. And the way well, I generally at least think of this is we want to go into this period of our lives with, uh, an excess we want to go in with an excess of muscle we want to go in with an excess of you know bone to lose we want to go in basically well prepared yeah to have like basically to have stuff to lose you know like that's what we ideally want we want to be in a position where like if you do lose some bone like we're going to have to there is some trade-off like there is a trade-off here you're just going to as we get older you're going to lose some muscle you're going to lose some bone mass unless obviously you take up I don't know, resistance training or something in your older age and you never did it before, like maybe then you're going to gain. But either way, you know, um, the vast majority of people are going to lose some, right? So we want to have that prepared. We also want to have a uh, an excess of strength. You know, we want to be very strong in all of our muscle groups, but also obviously some of the more specific muscle groups that we might be thinking about. Okay, well, you know, I don't know, say your legs, for example, and your lower body in general, you want that to be strong because that's going to help prevent fractures in future just by weight bearing exercises, but also so you can catch yourself. So you can, you know, you're more resilient, more robust to issues, you know? And, um, but anyway, look, let's, unless you have anything else to uh, cover in terms of the, the really beautiful, nice picture that we think <laughs> of the perimenopause and menopausal period. And um, if there's anything else, now is your time. Now is your time. to. <laughs> Otherwise, let's move on to training. We might not even get all the training covered today. We'll definitely be doing future episodes. Um, but where, like, again, unless you have anything else to cover, where do we start with this stuff? Like on the training side, at least. Yeah. So with training, like, you know, like you were saying, this is something that you want to be doing kind of during the, the perimenopause, like at least kind of like minimum is kind of building up your, your kind of um, resistance training is building up your bone health. Now that's not to say if you're um, hitting that kind of postmenopausal period that you're like, okay, well, I've missed the boat. There's still a role for, for exercise there. Absolutely. Um, but definitely you want to be building um, enough kind of muscle mass um, and kind 
kind of bone strength in that perimenopausal period. Um, so like we said, estrogen has um, a protective effect on our bones. Um, and then it also is provides us with kind of an anabolic stimulus kind of for um, muscle growth or muscle protein synthesis. So we kind of lose that in, in, in you know, as, as we go on. So that's why you kind of want to, you know, build enough tissue during this time. So, um, you want to be active during your younger years um, and then going into perimenopause, kind of building up kind of impact um, and strength work. So having kind of a mixture of kind of plyometric training um, and then also kind of resistance training and um, kind of loading, loading your joints. Um, endurance training generally kind of doesn't doesn't work as well and there doesn't need to be as much of an emphasis on it. You still want to be doing some cardiovascular training, um, but definitely um endurance can can kind of take it a little bit more of a backseat unless that's kind of your gig you know and even if it is like obviously if you're like I, I really love running it's what I've been doing my whole life like there is obviously a role to play there or it is there is effects there in terms of bone building it's just not as effective as other things it's also not as effective at like building muscle but again if it is like you said it is your gig if that's what you like to do we're not saying stop that um, and yeah. but endurance training does have less of a a benefit in terms of the muscle building in terms of the you know bone building but we also have to consider that it does have cardiovascular benefits and cardiovascular disease risk is something to consider so we're not anti-cardio by any means but if we are if we do have someone that's coming to us and they're like look i'm you know perimenopause here i'm really need to be thinking about the next few years we're probably going to focus a lot of our time and our attention on resistance training so that we have a reserve of muscle reserve of bone mass and a reserve of strength you know at least that's what i would be focusing on yeah 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 de definitely so like we said having a mixture of even kind of low impact plyometric plyometric training um you know strength training and again it, you know it kind of you know depends where you are um you know kind of with, with that training but slowly trying to kind of build up your strength build up your tolerance um, and then even doing kind of unilateral work as well, because like you said, when, when it is kind of getting to that older age, and this applies to men as well, um, but, you know, falls and fractures, you know, aren't just, they're also due to kind of like clumsiness and not being able to kind of, you know, catch yourself if you, if you stumble. Um, so it also has a role, not only in kind of, you know, building your bones that if you do fall, that you've less likely, um, risk of, you know, um, breaking them, but also you're less likely to just fall in general. Um, which is key and we do see that like transition as someone ages we see that transition away from those like faster muscle fibers and um, to more slower muscle fibers and that's not necessarily a bad thing you know that people go oh my god no it's awful but like it's not necessarily a bad thing however it does come to the forefront if you're trying to catch yourself when you're falling even like i mean like using your legs not even like you know using your arms or whatever like if you're just not able to move as fast <laughs> you know if you're basically just not able to you know catch yourself in time like even with your legs uh, and then even if you do catch yourself you don't have the strength to support that or to actually you know whatever like we're in a bad position then and we can offset that to some degree like there's obviously again a natural decline with this stuff um but we can offset that to some degree by doing training like we can do specific training for older individuals but we can also just train in general throughout our life you know to keep ourselves healthy and fit like this is the same stuff again like if you are a, a 28 year old or whatever and you're like right i'm just never resistance trained you know i've never done any exercise and i've basically been sitting down for the last 10 years very little 
stimulus on the muscles like you're still going to have some of the same issues that an older person is going to have however the older person has had way more years to accumulate those issues you know um, or they're at a stage where they've reached more frailty i suppose you'd say the word is um where it's just they, they just can't catch themselves they just have more of these issues present you know and um, so yeah there's we we need to be doing some sort of training <laughs> Definitely. So you're looking at kind of optimizing your bone health. Um, you're looking at minimizing your strength loss. We're talking about our, the cardiovascular benefits um, and as well, you know, pelvic floor exercises to protect the pelvic floor. So what I mentioned before about having that, that kind of that mixture of plyometric training and strength training. I mean, we also need to consider that plyometric training, you know, can completely set off kind of, you know, incontinence symptoms as well. Um, so it's about kind of, you know, you know, fi- finding that balance and as well, deciding kind of which you which you kind of you know need first is you know is this something where you need to um you know talk to a pelvic health physio or kind of you know like a female health specialist um just so you're not kind of experience you're exacerbating um prolapse or that you're experiencing these incontinent symptoms while you're while you're working out um so it's it's you know you know finding a balance between them and again just completely based on the individual kind of what you're um, what your starting point is or, or how you're going to kind of you know progress through through your training and this is the hard thing for a lot of people especially if you haven't trained before it's very hard to know what you should be doing what you shouldn't be doing where you should be focusing your attention all that kind of stuff but also even if you have trained before like you've literally maybe you've been training your whole life and you think you've got a good grasp of training you have to remember that the hormonal situation has changed now and the ho- those hormones are responsible for again baseline function you know so you might be oh yeah I, I know how to train this way i know how to do all this kind of stuff and then you start coming across issues like incontinence or prolapse <laughs> different things like that you're just like well, i don't know how to train now so it is one of those time periods like we were talking about in the kind of post-pregnancy period it's like things have changed now we're going to have to come up with potentially new strategies, new ways to train, whatever it is, you know? Um, and like we discussed as well in, in that, I think it was in that post, post-pregnancy one, a postpartum uh, episode where it would be ideal if every woman could just go to a like pelvic floor specialist or could just say, oh, go to a well-qualified, you know, personal trainer, nutritionist, co- like we just call them coaches, but like a nutritionist slash personal trainer and just go, yeah, cool. This is what we do. This is how you deal with the perimenopause and menopause stuff, right? Because we're talking about it here in this like overview, like you know, fucking whatever, 20,000 feet in the air. Like, mm-hmm. oh, these are the different things that you should maybe be aware of. But what you really need is that kind of specific advice. You really need that, okay, these are the issues that you're dealing with specifically. This is how we overcome this, or this is what we need to do to you know manage this, you know? And unfortunately, like we can't give that in this episode. Um, but you know, we envisage a world where uh, everyone yeah. had access to that stuff. Definitely. It's knowing about who you can go to. I mean, your, your GP should be able to, you know, minimum refer you to, you know, a women's health specialist um, that, that that can help with that kind of. So like pelvic floor exercise, those are kind of like your, your Kegels. Um, you know, there's also a lot of like great apps out there. There's like kind of like a called Squeezy is one, um, you know, which is like an NHS. Right. 
Great brand name. Great name. Great name. <laughs> Which I think it's like an NHS app. So there, there is a lot of resources out there, but even kind of, you know, having a look at those things beforehand and, and knowing, um, you know, kind of what are your symptoms yourself before you go to kind of one of these health professionals can be um, can be benefit, beneficial as well. But there is there is kind of help out there. But I think you, you do need to be assessed by by a professional if if you think you are, you know, particularly having symptoms of, of, of prolapse, you know. Hmm. So we'll get back to the pelvic floor now in a second, because I do want to touch on that. But just before we move on from the resistance training and, you know, cardiovascular training, hmm. Nicola, someone's coming to you. They're, they're saying, oh, I want to I want to do something. I'm in the kind of perimenopause state or maybe we'll do well, two, two examples here. Someone yeah. in the perimenopause and then someone in the menopause or post-menopause, I suppose. Um, they come to you and they're saying, look, I used to do a bit of training the last you know, couple of years. I haven't done much. You know, Maybe I went to a few classes in the gym, but I wasn't doing too much. And now they're thinking, I want to help my health. I want to make sure that I'm setting myself up correctly, right? So perimenopause, what are you thinking? How would you set up their training? Let's assume they have, you know, like most people, three to four days to train. What are we doing? Yeah, it, it's funny you mentioned the the class situation. Someone who's done a lot of classes because you know, um, training is one of the things that's most beneficial for kind of women. Um, you know, go, going through this period, but a lot of classes are geared towards, you know, aerobic training and, and Pilates or, um, you know, kind of hit training, which actually isn't kind of you know what what we want kind of women kind of in the perimenopause, um, postmenopausal to be doing. Um, but in terms of training, the what it'll look like for perimenopausal woman versus postmenopausal will be similar enough to be honest um, and it is just you know taking that person kind of where they're from um, and kind of building up their strength from there um, so you're looking at you know obviously kind of you know whole body resistance training and um, but particularly kind of looking at kind of ensuring kind of like unilateral movements ensuring kind of posterior chain and kind of kind of building up kind of their back muscles as well um, core and just kind of ensuring kind of you know full kind of um, muscular kind of support you know, for, for the body, but then up titrating kind of the amount of um, strength that we're using as well. So kind of bringing up the weights, kind of slowly titrating up um, over, over the weeks. Um, but it is just kind of about, you know, assessing someone kind of where they are kind of at the minute um, and then kind of taking them from, from there. Yeah. Um, I actually think this is it's quite important. It's basically, we're doing a generalized program here. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the kind of main thing that, that, you know, like I would, I would change was, would be bringing in, um, kind of more plyometric training. Like I said, it just has a different effect, um, on, on our bones, um, on different parts of the bones that are kind of strengthened up as opposed to kind of normally kind of loading through resistance training. So, whereas I wouldn't have as much of an emphasis, um, in someone, you know, my age, maybe, maybe I should, um, but I, I, I don't, um, but someone who's kind of coming into more kind of um, perimenopausal per- period, I'll put more of an emphasis on that and, and do try to now provided there's no kind of pelvic floor issues. Um, that is something that I will be like, okay, no, we, we do need to kind of get kind of, kind of this more kind of higher kind of impact in, oh, again, we're not talking about box jumps up to like whatever level, you know, again, where the person's from and slowly kind of bringing that up. Um, but for a, a you know postmenopause woman, it, it's the same thing. You're just you're taking someone from where they are and just trying to get them better at that and get them stronger. You're still trying to load the joints. You're still trying to, um, you know, create muscle mass. I suppose the biggest thing is with you know, perimenopause is that you kind of still have a bit of a capacity there to build muscle um, and to um, strengthen the bones, whereas that 
for postmenopausal women, you're more so trying to kind of maintain. That's the that that's kind of the biggest thing. But you still you still have, um, you know, a greater need to, um, you know, kind of load the joints um, and improve muscular strength. Like we said, we don't have kind of estrogen there. We don't have its perfect protective effect. Um, and muscle protein synthesis, particularly postmenopausal, is a lot harder. We do need kind of we'll be talking about nutrition, but we do need, you know, kind of higher protein boluses and enough stimulus from the resistance training to actually provide sufficient muscle protein synthesis to either, you know, um, create muscle mass or at the minimum kind of maintain it. Mm. Yeah. And again, it, it is one of those things where we have to be specific in terms of there are a lot of different things that we have to consider. Again, we could be talking about pelvic floor dysfunction. We could be talking about whatever issues that this person is having, but at the same time, we are still doing just a generalized resistance training program, whatever it is, three to four days, nothing <clears throat> excessive. Yeah. We might layer on some like plyometric work. And like you said, it doesn't have to be, you know, extraordinary stuff. Like even stuff like skipping, people forget that like that, that is plyometric work, you know, yeah. like you could go, Oh, I'm going to do five minutes of skipping as a warm up, um, which, you know, you're learning the skill. You probably in enjoyed skipping when you were younger. I know I, I actually really enjoy skipping, but it's one of those kind of fun things. And it is also teaching you a bit more coordination and everything. You know, I know everyone, especially if you haven't been in the gym in ages, you're like, fuck no, I'm not going to go skipping. <laughs> I don't want people looking at me, whatever, but stuff like that. It doesn't have to be excessive. It doesn't have to be, like you said, like these depth jumps from fucking 12 feet in the air or <laughs> whatever. Um, it's just like, right, we want to do some sort of plyometrics, which is just like, we'll call it jumping and rebound training because it's just obviously a lot of load bearing through the joints. But obviously, again, the caveat here is we need to be strong enough to support that stuff, right? So you might do a period of time where you're just focusing on resistance training, getting the body strong, preparing it so that you can bring in some more plyometric stuff, or maybe you're bringing in some very low level plyometric stuff at the start, you know? Um, but I do want to get it across that this isn't extraordinary. It's not... Yeah. It's not like a magical program, right? You're going to do three to four days in the gym. Like, yeah, okay, if you enjoy classes, you can still go to classes. We're not against classes. We're not against exercise in any form. Um, but we're probably going to spend some more time just going, right, here are our major muscle groups. Here are the major like you know, movement patterns, we'll say. Let's make sure that we're at least loading them up and trying to progress that over time. You know, Again, it doesn't have to be this huge bodybuilding program. It doesn't have to be whatever. But we do want to get stronger over time or at least try and we do want to make sure that we're going through at least the, the major muscle functions and, and targeting the major muscle groups you know um it, it, it's it's one of the, it's, it's one of those things like we're, we're we're still keeping you know a similar format to someone you know kind of you know in their 20s but it, you know it's it's still I suppose you're not having as much of an emphasis on like you know tricep extensions or you know bicep curls whatever it is you are kind of looking I hate saying the word kind of you know function but you are kind of looking at things like you know strengthening the back or um, I had a client an old client with them, you know, multiple myeloma lady in her seventies. So one of the things for her was, um, you know, like we were mentioning the stairs kind of like weighted step ups, you know, um, like there is kind of like great carryover with, the, with, with a lot of these movements. Again, we're getting kind of like unilateral in getting something that she's going to need, you know, uh, you know, particularly as that kind of, um, so multiple myeloma eventually progresses, you know, um, so there, it, it, the, the bones of it is the same. Um, but you know, there are some kind of, you know, small, smaller differences that you'd be putting more an emphasis on. Like I said, you're not focusing as heavily on, um, you know, 
chest and triceps, you know. Yeah, I'd get that isolation. Maybe you should. Maybe you should. But... <laughs> yeah, Jack, you want to see that granny with fucking jacked 18 inch arms? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, right. So, one of the things that does potentially change our general recommendations is stuff around the pelvic floor. You know, we might bring in some more pelvic floor specific exercises. But, like you mentioned a few times, we might also be thinking, okay, I'm going to be getting you to do, again, like even skipping or something or resistance training. Maybe I'm getting you to do some deadlifts or whatever. We might have some incontinence. We might have a risk of prolapse. We might have stuff around this, uh, like the pelvic floor uh, dysfunction or whatever you want to call it. Um, so how does that change things? Obviously, we have to be aware of it. That's the first thing, you know, but how does it change things in terms of, are we just adding in a few different exercises? What's the story here? The pelvic floor training, perimenopause, menopause. Yeah, so um, the, 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 the way that, that, that we're changing things is, is that if, you know, if you are suffering with, you know, particularly stress incontinence, that that's, that's what you'll experience if you're doing, um, you know, skipping or, you know, box jumps, um, you know, squat jumps, what, whatever it is. And, and not even that, we will still experience it with things like heavy deadlifts and heavy squats, you know, et cetera. Um, and again, that's just kind of when you just can't kind of, you know, hold your urine in, you know, essentially. Um, so you see this, we've said it before, but you see this all the time. Well, not all the time, but you see it like in a CrossFit gym or people that do yeah. like powerlifting or something like that. And, you know, they're basically, I don't know, like sumo deadlifts is always one that you see people do it on yeah. a bit more visual and stuff, but people will basically like, pee themselves you know um so that, that happens yeah exactly it's it's, it's some and, it, and, it, and it's quite common um and but it, you know it's not necessarily you know normal um you know we, we should be able to kind of you know be, be able to kind of you know c- control that um but you know if if kind of that that is your issue it is um you know kind of taking a step back from 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 that training kind of for now um and kind of staying with kind of lower impact training that that isn't causing the incontinence um while concurrently working on um your pelvic floor um and working on those exercises like we said um you know whether you're doing kegels um you know whether you've already kind of you know sought help from a professional and whether you're trying out an app first um and seeing kind of what works for you but um it is something that i I would link in with your gp kind of you know minimum about because it's not something that you have to kind of suffer through um and especially if that's going to be like a barrier to exercise for you um it is something that um that there is help there for um and, and and should be used like you said there's you know pelvic health physios there's you know specialists women's health specialists there's gps that have like special interests in this kind of stuff a lot of you know general gps i mean this is what they're seeing the whole time anyway even if they're not a specialist in the area um and if not they can they can refer out um or kind of minimum i mean you know downloading some of these apps like i said they're fantastic and they can kind of really guide you through a lot of these exercises and hmm. um, like you said there it might and be a case slowly that- coming back into training you know slowly again like we were saying you know these kind of like deficit box jumps we'll be trying a smaller one and seeing how it goes yeah and that's the thing this doesn't it's not an either or stuff right if you go to the gym and you're like oh, i actually really feel i can go back to myself, <laughs> you know like that can be very off-putting naturally enough right um, and yeah. but it doesn't mean that you have to just completely forego resistance training like there are going to be exercises that you can do and it's just not an issue right so we can still be focusing on those we can still be you know progressing those there might be a few exercises that you're like right these ones seem to be really 
like problematic for me we might have yeah. to dial back the intensity of those like it, it, again obviously it's not like this like pelvic floor dysfunction incontinence whatever is like one thing like it's different for everyone right um so we might just have to dial back the intensity okay you can't do this like really strong valsalva maneuver that's what seems to really set it off for you so we're going to just rather than having this as like a uh, an RPE 10, you know, we're going to go, okay, let's just dial it back. It's going to be five or six. We're still going to get the movement in. We're still going to train it. That seems to be okay for you. Whereas for someone else, it might be a case of, look, is, if we even get down half, <laughs> reach down for the barbell there, you're, <laughs> you're going to feel like you need to piss yourself. Right. So again, it's going to be different for everyone. So don't just take it as like, oh yeah, I have a little bit of incontinence. So I'm just not going to go to the gym. I'm, that's, I'm, I'm not going to focus on that until I get the incontinence completely sorted um, because you're kind of missing an opportunity there, right? However, and this is especially true for personal trainers, if you are training someone that is in this perimenopause, menopause period, like it is something to be aware of. It is something that you might start thinking, okay, well, how am I going to structure the resistance training session that I have planned for this individual? So that first of all, maybe they're nearer a bathroom. It's not something that's like we're four floors deep and there's no bathroom here, you know, different gyms, different setups, whatever. Um, or we're just going, okay, they might have an issue with these exercises. So I'm going to make sure that I'm communicating with them, just asking them like about this stuff, not just assuming that, oh, it's all good. Um, and then modifying from there, you know? And then on top of that, especially as a, on an individual level, but if you are a coach, if you really do care about your, you know, clients, health, fitness, all that kind of stuff, like there are pelvic floor exercises that we can do. Yeah. Some of the stuff it's like, right. You, it depends on the issue. Ideally, we would just go to a pelvic floor specialist, you know, and ideally if you are a personal trainer and you're, you're coaching a lot of women that you know, you're coaching a lot of women full stop, like ideally you would do some sort of pelvic floor continuing education, just so you're really aware of that stuff. Um, but that is something that we could maybe bring in. Like I've done that with a few of my clients that just have had issues where like, all right, in, in consultation with their, their GP or again, their pelvic floor specialist, we're going to bring in some exercises and we might do that as part of, we'll call it the warm up. you know, it's just like, right, this is when we do them, we're freshest, we're really gonna focus on them. And then maybe we might do them at the end. It depends on the exact issue because some, yeah. you know, it might actually be wrong to do them at the end. But again, it depends on the, the exact issue that's going on. Um, but also there's stuff that I'm gonna give my, my client homework. You know, it's like, right, this is stuff that I want you, you're sitting at your desk all day. It's like, you can be doing some of these exercises, like set a reminder on your phone, do whatever, whatever needs to be done, you know? Um, so there is a little bit more that we can do with the pelvic floor exercises, but I think the real key here is just being aware of it for one, but then also just not closing yourself off to exercise if you are dealing with some sort of pelvic floor dysfunction. Definitely, definitely. And like you said, it is, it is worth talking to your personal trainer about, um, you know, like a I don't think in my PT course, there's anything really mentioned about pelvic health, which is unfortunate. Um, but, you know, a lot of personal trainers, again, are upskilling and will have a little bit of knowledge in that. So if you do have, you know, a comfortable relationship with them, it is it is worth asking because, um, you know, minimum they can they can look into it for you um, and kind of between yourselves kind of, you know, put put a plan in place. 100%. So on the, the training, the exercise front, is there anything else that you would like to make a note of because look I, I we do realize that it's not like we gave you the the program here. we're not like yeah do this program this is the one that's that's going to fix everything basically on the training front at least in my estimation we just want to keep training you know we want to yeah. do like three to four resistance training sessions per week two i would be happy with two if we could get those in you know yeah. 
But ideally, we're getting in that kind of three to four range. We're doing some cardiovascular exercise as well. And then maybe we're starting to bring in some more plyometric stuff. Doesn't again, doesn't have to be excessive, but just for you know potential bone benefits there. And also there are potential benefits in terms of being able to catch yourself and you know, whatever, just yeah, function, we'll call it, you know. Um, but nothing excessive. The, on the training front, not much changes, right? overall in the grand scheme of things still still, yeah still focusing on strength and then there's just kind of you know minor not even minor details but you know other things that you're putting more of an emphasis on and than someone maybe in their 20s but there's no huge overhaul Mm -hmm. training yeah so what i think we do is we'll we'll kind of wrap it up here and in the next episode we'll talk about nutrition because there are a few different things that we would actually do with the nutrition side of things and in that episode we might also get on to like hormone replacement therapy and stuff like that, because I know we've mentioned it a few times during this episode. um, And it is something that, again, you need to be aware of, because like you said, like your doctor might just be like, right, you're going perimenopause, hormone replacement therapy. And like, again, a lot of people are hesitant to that. Some of that's true. You know, they've heard whispers of different things, or maybe it's a lack of knowledge. They're just like, I don't, I'm I'm not a pill popper, like you said. Um, So hopefully we can clear up some of those issues. Um, but do you have anything else that you want to make a note of? No, all good. All good. Fantastic. So other than that, guys, you know where to find us. I'm not going to repeat it every single time. That's Gary's job. <laughs> um, but you can look at all the like info, wherever it is, above, below, wherever it is that you listen to this stuff. Um, you can find the links to all of the stuff that we do. Follow us on Instagram. That's where we put out a lot of content, a lot of like actionable information in terms of, oh, this is what you would do. Here's a helpful tip. You know, that's... That's the goal of our Instagram, the goal of our social media. Like, yeah, obviously, look, we're a business. We it, It's marketing as well. There's, you know, I'm not going to be dishonest here and say, oh, it's completely altruistic. Like it is marketing, right? But ideally, you would get some benefit from that. You know, ideally, you would come away from following our Instagram page, following our social media and going, yeah, I'm actually learning stuff here. I'm actually getting actionable, helpful advice. You know, like, again, I'm not going to be dishonest and say like, there's no ulterior motive as well you know like but the goal of our social media is to provide actionable informative helpful advice so that's what you should get when you go there right so instagram that's the best place to to follow us you can of course follow us on the the email list we do send up send out emails every single week so if you enjoy that stuff and you just want to read a an article or a piece of content a bit of information about whatever or you know get the insider scoop of what's going on at triage or whatever email list that's the place to be. Um, obviously, you can follow all of us on social media. That's that's pretty cool as well. But the final thing I want to say is we do have coaching spaces available. I know, Nicola, you have a few coaching spaces available. So if people are dealing with you know, female-specific issues and they just want some help, like they can get coaching from you. But I know you also do consultations if people are like, right, I don't necessarily need you know, uh, full coaching, but I have these different issues going on. Like we can organize a consultation with you as well, you know? And um, so there are services available to you. If you're a listener and um, you can go to our website again, the links are all below. So you can, you can just peruse them, find the one that you want to click and click it. And, um, but other than that, guys, look, I have nothing else to say. We'll talk to you in the next one and we'll see you then.